0: Hello everyone, I'm Troy Dodds and welcome to the On The Record podcast presented by the Western Weekender. On this podcast, I'm joined by special guests who all have such great stories to tell about Penrith and the role they've played in our city. Today, my special guest is Ian Taylor, who many would know from his time with iconic Penrith radio station 1FM. Ian has a fascinating story to tell about his time in Penrith. Ian, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you very much, Troy.
0: Now, as always, we start with the question, uh, where were you born and where did you grow up?
1: Okay, started off my life in Blackpool, UK, England. That's where I was born. Um, I uh, grew up there for about two years and then moved to Australia, what was known as a 10-pound pom, um, where when, we when, we, when we could call people poms back then. <laughs> um, came to Australia and grew up in a place called Goodna. who, of course, my, uh, my heart goes out to those people in Goodner at the moment with the uh, floods and what have you that they've been going through. But, um, yeah, it was a great upbringing, um, just a, a normal, standard working family. Um, from there, I moved to the Gold Coast because uh, I wanted to be a DJ. Um, so I started working in a, a nightclubs and what have you on the Gold Coast, um, which was yeah, a fun time, a, a great grounding to get to know crowds and people and, and interact and so forth, uh-huh. and then moved to... Sydney. Yes, and,
0: and that's when Penrith comes into your life. So, so how did Penrith come into your life, and, um, and how did you end up here?
1: Uh, it was actually, I met my, um, my, my boy's mother uh, on the Gold Coast. She was up there on holidays, like everybody came from Sydney to the Gold Coast for holidays. Uh, met her there, and, uh, and we fell in love, um, and uh, we had a, a little boy, and, and decided uh, Sydney was the next move because she wanted to be around mum and so forth, so off we went to Sydney.
0: Now you were working um, at uh, Tiffany's Nightclub uh, in Blacktown at the time. T- tell us about Tiffany's I- I've never actually heard of Tiffany's, but i'm uh, I'm obviously just slightly out of the uh, the age range.
1: And it's amazing. Tiffany's was really a nightclub that um, was way ahead of its time. It was a three level nightclub. Uh, it had restaurants, seven bars, um it had a capacity of two and a half thousand people. Um, and it was actually in the, the West Point shopping centre, if it's still called that these days. I it know it, is, it is, it? Yeah. Um, so that, that whole nightclub was purpose-built as a nightclub by Bill McNamara, um, who was uh, in, in the building game and owned the whole shopping centre. And um, the amount of people and, and, and the unlimited budget we had to make that place work was quite incredible. Um, we had acts there like the Monkeys, um, Wang Chung, Cheap trick, James Rain and a host of other Australian stars. Even 1927 made their first debut at the um, at the nightclub, um, so we'd we'd interact the, the bands with with me being the DJ um, and and run the night through like that, which was quite a unique sort of situation. Um, but uh, I remember when 1927 played, there was because it was it wasn't long after they'd um, been on Hey Hey of Saturday and uh, Australia fell in love with them. So when they knew that they were coming to to Tiffany's in Blacktown, the the place packed out. In fact, the queue was over half a kilometre long outside, so people still waiting to get in, even though it was totally sold out. Uh, And the guys were so scared, they didn't even want to go on stage. It took us half an hour of talking to actually go on stage.
0: Now, obviously, during this time, you're you're trying to break into radio as well, right? Radio, I'm guessing, is a passion for you at this point. The nightclub stuff is a lot of fun, but also paying the bills.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was, it was the next progression once you'd once you've done nightclubs and things like that. You didn't do radio courses and all that sort of stuff back then. Uh, some people did, but um, most went from you know being uh, DJs into, into radio. Um, so to break into that, we, we used to get various guests, everybody from, from Molly Meldrum to all the Triple M guys and so forth. And uh, I got to know a guy really well called Rob Duckworth, uh, who was doing Drive at Triple M at the time. And um we went out, we used to catch up as friends and we went out for lunch one day and he said, I think it's about time you get into radio. So anyway, he said, um, I know this, you live out of Penrith, I know this guy called um Mike Walsh and he owns the, the Penrith 2KA radio station. he said, why don't we get him and we'll go out for lunch and, and have a bit of a chat. So we did that. Um, and Mike just had his vision of changing 2KA, which was a very stereotypical typical radio station for that time, uh, a radio station that, that was really just more of an information station and, and, and playing you know, classic hits and so forth, but he wanted to bring it into the FM world and, and make it bigger than Ben-Hur. Um, so to do that, he didn't want um, the stereotypical radio announcer. He wanted somebody with a bit of life uh and young in life and, and and bring a whole new uh, aspect uh, to the industry. So he decided, well, let's give you a go. Um so he put me in touch with uh, another guy which a lot of people wouldn't know down in Sydney is uh, Richard Mercer. The, lo-
0: uh, Richard the Mercer Love was God
1: the, uh, the Love God, yeah. <laughs> he he was the um he was the man that uh was the P D at the time, the programme director. Um, and his task was to teach me how to be on radio. So I started off um, on Saturday afternoons just getting to know the panel and all the equipment and what have you by um, presenting uh, Take 40 Australia, um, which was, a I think it was Barry Biffle that ran Take 40 Australia back then. And interestingly, uh, and,
0: panelling, so this is your first job in radio, you're panelling for... Uh for Take 40 Australia. Panelling in those days, and I mean, even today, it's it's still an art, um, yeah. you know, it's it's, a, it's an interesting thing, but, but in those days, of course, you had carts for ads, you had all sorts of things, so it, you almost wow. needed a degree to be uh, to be panelling a radio program at that time in, uh, in radio's history.
1: Absolutely, you got it, yeah, everything was analogue, of course, so not digital like it is these days, it was all analogue, so it was all reel-to-reel, so Take 40 Australia would actually come to us on a Friday afternoon in a little post pack, um, in reel to reels and I had to insert all the, the commercials in between all that and so forth. And then of course, to be on the radio for the very first time, we needed to have somebody read the weather. So that was my first thing I ever did was actually learn how to read the weather. Um, that took all of a couple of hours. Um, <laughs> very entertaining, I must say. <laughs> now, now you do the weather, and you don't even think about it. You know what I mean? But back then, it was like, oh wow, this is very interesting. No, so, no, yeah, we'll,
0: we'll get to the launch of uh, of one FM in, in just a moment. But this is so. This is nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety. What's Penrith like at this time? Like, well, as a, as a city, uh, you've obviously been back here a few times, and you're living in uh, in Queensland at the moment. But back in back then, what was Penrith like?
1: Um, Penrith was, it was a, a town of, of the working class people. Um, those people that, uh, you know, really just wanted to have a family and grow up. Um, the, the infrastructure of Penrith wasn't huge. Uh, we had the, well, it wasn't even the mall back then. Um, it was just High Street uh, and there was a, a little plaza on, on, off to the side there as well. Um, and of course, um, Panthers um, hadn't been developed either. So that was all all very, very small, um, just kicking along nicely for the for the community. Um and then Pembroke slowly but surely started to come into its forte with you know, bigger plazas. I remember opening up um things like the um, the, the Grace brothers uh, with Deborah Hutton. Um yes. which was an amazing day. Spending the day with Deborah Hutton, anybody would uh, certainly be happy to do that. Driving around in a Mercedes Benz, and and um, uh, we had bands and things out the front, and um, it was it was an amazing time uh, to see Penrith starting to come alive, and then of course the opening of the new Panthers, um, and uh, uh, you know everybody sort of uh, how would you say um, just just getting into the feel of of it growing up.
0: Yeah, and there is that feel around Penrith in that time because if you look back, obviously, uh, you know, from a, from a rugby league perspective, Penrith are on the, the eve of winning their first premiership and that puts sort of Penrith on the, the national map. Uh, the Western Weekender actually launches in 1991 as well. And I, I look at that era and go, that's clearly a time when, uh, people are starting to say, hey, Penrith's growing, it needs more, it needs more media and, and, and that, brings us back I guess to Mike Walsh who was running 2KA but in 1990 uh, decides to launch 1FM. Now just going back to the name of 1FM how did, do you know how 1FM got its name? Because it obviously didn't go with a Penrith um, name for, for what was essentially a Penrith radio station um, how did it get the name 1FM? So we were, when
1: we knew that it was going to be an FM radio station uh, Mike came in one day and he said I need you to all think about it, this is all the staff, everybody from the cleaner all the way through to, to the announcers and the general manager, need to all get together um, and, and decide a name for the radio station. So we were actually given that task to do that. Um, in the end, after everything was submitted, we were given about two weeks to do that, um, Mike came up with the word 1FM. And everybody went, why 1FM? Well, he had an affiliation with the UK um, and the big radio station over there was Radio One, mm-hmm. so that's why he decided to go with with One uh, FM. Um,
0: and of course, it launches uh, on uh, on the twenty sixth of October, nineteen ninety, yeah. in Penrith, and it launches amidst controversy. And um, I, I kind of love this story because it's you know Pen- Penrith has often been the fighter, I guess, you know, in terms of suburbs of Sydney, and it was no different for the launch of the radio station.
1: Yeah, exactly right. We, we were a radio station, an AM radio station, but Mike wanted to, to have that sound quality with, with FM, so he didn't see any reason why we couldn't just be an FM radio station. Um, unfortunately, the powers that be, which were the other radio stations, Triple M, Today FM, WS and so forth, uh, they were very, very much against that. The reason being is their revenue and so forth um, was made through advertising, and if a smaller player came into the market that was charging less money for advertising, like we were doing with, with 2KA, supporting local businesses, so local businesses could then survive, they could afford to advertise. They weren't paying three or $400 at the time for a 30-second spot. They were paying $50. Um, so the other radio stations certainly kicked up their heels, and then Mike eventually got it through and bought the radio station's licence, FM for $46,000. Now, $46,000, when you look at only a couple of years later when Nova, they um, came into the market from DNG, they paid $100 million mm-hmm. for the FM license. So, uh, that that ruffled a heck of a lot of feathers, obviously. But uh, Yeah, we, we were still trying to just be a local radio station. Um, unbeknownst to us at the time is that our uh, Mast, our um, antenna, if you will, um, was sitting on the top of Katoomba. Now, we were putting out the same power as all the other radio stations, but because FM worked at line of sight, um, we could be heard perfectly on the uh, Harper Bridge. In yes. fact, we even had reports of us being heard perfectly on the South Island of New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, so, and that's still 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 uh, we'll get to it later but uh, still uh the case with 96.1 today as well but um you you're employed to do the nights uh the nights program and at that time in radio uh and i remember listen you know i was listening to radio obviously at, at this point in my in my teen years night radio was huge i mean later the love god obviously takes over the uh the the nighttime dominance in sydney radio but you had ugly Phil and jackie o starting at nights like nights was was big time radio in the early 90s.
1: Yeah, it certainly was. Um, The the thing with uh, being a a night station in in Penrith is that we, as I said, we didn't really want to attack that, that main Sydney market. We were happy to get involved with people that were just local. And the way we did that, is um, uh, myself and Richard Mercer, we actually de- developed a show that incorporated a thing called School Wars. And this is the way to get younger people on board. Now, with School Wars, um, basically kids would call up from different schools and we'd have schools battling it out with different competitions like the And, Um, and Er competition. Like, you can't say And, Um, and Er <laughs> and things like that. Um, and we'd give away prizes, CDs, and, and, and trips to uh, Australia's Wonderland um, where people would come and join us and, and then we progressed it even further from there into things like instant input. Uh, a lot of people would remember instant input. It was a way where the, the average child could get on the radio and say hi to their friends on the radio, um, say hi to their teachers and so forth and so forth. Um, that did have a bit of a backfire though, <laughs> because we were getting kids that were saying that, you know, Mrs such-and-such English teacher, um, was was a really angry sort of person. (laughs) Uh, So we thought, no, we had a bit of a meeting after all that and decided let's make it positive. So only positive comments. So then we'd get people calling up saying um, Mr. Hewson uh, at at such-and-such a school uh, was a, a hot PE teacher. Well, the next thing you know, we had court. We had court documents sitting on our that, desk, saying that we had defamed the teacher, <laughs> and that teachers weren't allowed to be hot. The teachers must be feared, so to speak. Um, you would have you so been cancelled
0: if that was happening today, uh, Ian.
1: <laughs> I know, in this PC world, you would do for sure. But it was all in fun, you know. The whole lot of it was was in fun. Um, the kids even got to choose their, their own music. Um, we had a thing called Smash or Trash. It was either a smash hit or it was trash. We threw it in the bin. So we'd, we'd run 10 different CDs across the week um, that kids could actually vote for, um, and they were either added to the, the playlist or they weren't. Now, with that, um, that really brought us into the fore when it came to new artists, new artists coming on board with the radio station.
0: And and this is where we get some pretty big names on uh, on your program, the likes of Human Nature and Peter Andre. How good was Mysterious Girl? That was a good song. Uh, Tina Arena as well. So so there's some big names are uh, gracing One uh, FM.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and it was a bit of a hike back then because we didn't have the, uh, the M4 up and running. It was pretty much the the Great Western Highway and it was a heck of a travel for most of those artists to come in from from the international airport for example because we were getting them from all over the world coming to Penrith um to showcase their their new works. Um yeah, you mentioned uh, human nature. That was an amazing day when they came in. There were, I think it was Dennis Hanlon from uh, Sony Music uh, brought them into the radio station and um, sat us down in the boardroom. that was just uh, myself and a couple of other people and have a listen to these guys. And they just sang um, People Get Ready a cappella and absolutely amazing. Just, just incredible how these guys went. So they were the first ones we really backed. Um, and got them on the show, um, and, and this is and all
0: happening too in uh, in pretty state of the art studios. So you mentioned live performances, but Mike Walsh uh, didn't do things by halves. Uh, we know that from his, uh, his his cinemas here in Penrith, but he, uh, he he was pretty dedicated to making sure that you guys were, were operating out of a, a very professional studio.
1: Yeah, the studios were purpose-built to be a radio station. Um, When Mike was was, was dabbling in radio in his early career, he always used to hate the fact that um, radio stations would be enclosed. In other words, they didn't have any views of the outside. They couldn't see other studios and they couldn't see what was going on. So it was like an enclosed little dog box, so to speak, um, with most studios these days, or back then as well. Um, so he purposely built for those um, studios uh, on the corner of Henry and Lawson Streets, if my memory serves me correctly, um, which is now Alan Holmes. Um, now, all the windows for so the studios were facing outwards. So we had these massive windows, um, half inch by half inch dual glass to make it totally soundproof. Uh, every studio had windows between each one as well so you could see everybody and see what was going on so it was, it was an amazing undertaking uh, to build these studios but uh, well they worked, they really really worked um, the people were quite amazed actually of, of, uh, of what they could uh, achieve in, in such a great environment.
0: And your show works as well because um, if I'm correct I think uh, some ratings records were set that, that I'm guessing might not have even been broken today
1: yeah, um, the, the highest rating I actually had, and it, it slowly and gradually made its way, way through, um, it went up to 47.9% of the available audience, which was, that's, that's unheard of these days. Absolutely. 47.9%. Um, but uh, it, it was a long haul to get there. Um, there was a lot of recruitment. Like, for example, in my day, my day just wasn't going on air from, from uh, 8 till midnight. Um, my day actually started in the morning with things like school tours. So we'd, we'd actually invite all the schools to bring their, their kids in and give them a tour of what a radio station was all about. Um, so I'd do that th- from the morning and I'd go home and have a sleep, a bit of lunch or whatever the case may be, come back and do some more and then go on to, to midnight that night. So there was a, a lot of work involved in, in building a show like that. Um, even, going out to, to, all the various schools as well. We, it was amazing. We'd absolutely get mobbed at schools towards the end there. It was getting so big that, uh, you know, there was, there was mobs of people. And we'd, we'd go out with people like, uh, uh, human nature, take them and do a, do a showcase performance with them, uh, girlfriends who were really, really big at the time. Um, even Peter Andre spent the day with peter andre, which was i 've got to say a very very interesting day um, peter what, andre what was peter like well, he was interesting he was very quiet, very very quiet man to everybody else other than himself. He used to talk to himself <laughs> he used to he 'd be sitting in the car beside me and i 'd be driving him around and uh he 'd be talking to himself and touching up his makeup and and uh, saying how beautiful he was and 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 he 'd Keep turning to me and saying, "Do, do I look right?" To this, thing? It was it was quite amazing. <laughs> um, it was almost like, if you can imagine, and I likened it to like a day out with Michael Jackson. <laughs> you know, it, it was, um, yeah, very vain sort of day. But uh, yeah, no, he, he went on to do his thing, I suppose. Down the track.
0: Interestingly, um, if you were if you were you know these celebrities are out and about today, that just wouldn't happen. You wouldn't be popping in a car with them. You drive them. You, you drive them down the street to a showcase or, or whatever else. They'd come with about six or seven uh, PR and marketing execs and whatnot. So a good time to you know you, you get to meet these artists and, and get up close and personal with them.
1: Oh, it was it was the best time, absolutely, and and you really got to know the people. Um, when I interviewed them, it wasn't all just about um, their their latest release or whatever the case may be. It was about the person, you know what I mean? Um, you know, when you're interviewing people like, uh, you know, John Farnham and all that sort of stuff, you'd be, be chatting away about, you know, his farm life and, and stuff like that. So so I, I I suppose because I didn't have that formal radio training, um, I took things to, to a different level, um, which people really enjoyed. There was a, a segment that used to run between... Uh, 10 and midnight used to be called one on one. So it was 1FM, one on one, um, having a chat with the, the various people, um, and people like Andrew Strong from the commitments, you know, um, talking about his, his life, um, back in Ireland and, and, and so forth and, and, and just getting to know them as a person rather than just an artist. Of course, we were there to promote whatever they were, but, but people, just just tended to fall in love with them all because they actually did know what their background was, you know?
0: Absolutely. And look, the um mid-'90s... one FM, where has it got to at this point, as far as Penrith is concerned? Like, would you say that that One FM was Penrith um, at this stage? I mean, in terms of of advertising revenue, openings and closings of restaurants and and clubs and things oh. like that, because that's a big time in Penrith as we talked about earlier for business growth. Um, I, I seem to remember One FM was it in town. There, there, there was nobody else.
1: Absolutely, it it, it certainly ruled the roost altogether. Um, and as I say, it was, it was very much targeted towards Penrith, even though we were going all the way through to the Harbour Bridge and beyond. Um, but just, just, just to see those businesses grow, uh, and when we did, uh, we used to go out and do, we had what's called a, a big yellow caravan. It was an outside broadcast caravan. And we'd take this little caravan and we'd put it everywhere, all over the Blue Mountains, all over the Penrith area and so forth and so forth. And people... Uh, would would come in their droves to have their free sausage sizzle and and get to know the people of the business and and and, and especially with new business opening as well they got to know and it was mums and dads that owned those businesses you know so they got to know all those people and and that just really grew Penrith in in, in so many ways. Um, uh, that little guy caravan, in fact, I I don't know if it's still going, but um, the the most amazing place we ever put that caravan um, was down at um, Luna Park. Right on the boardwalk of Luna Park underneath the Harbour Bridge, I broadcast my drive show from there because from nights I ended up moving into the drive show um, because they didn't want to waste the ratings that I had achieved into a night show, so they moved me into the drive show, um, which was four till till eight. Um, And uh, we decided we'd start giving a bit of a shove into the city of Sydney. Which that started the next court battle.
0: Yeah, so tell us about that because, um, as you hint there, uh, it's not like these other stations went away. Uh, they're noticing One FM's success, and they're certainly threatened by it.
1: Yeah, um, as I said, when it came to to advertising, uh, most of the the stations in in the city were, were charging you know upwards of three or four hundred dollars a spot, and we were still only doing the fifty dollars a spot. So. We started then getting advertisers coming in from outside of the Penrith area, um, still offering them the the same good deals. Uh, And then you had, you know, Triple M, uh, ARN Network and and so forth taking us to court to say that uh, broadcast was too much. We had to turn back our power. Um, So we basically dropped off somewhere around Parramatta. And um, there was a heck of a court battle over that. Uh, eventually, um after I think it was about six months of of going through court, we won that we could continue to use the same power. So I remember a uh, a front page on the the telegraph uh back there where they actually uh, had myself and two promotion girls that they hired <laughs> with us laughing our heads off on the front page saying, We got you. you, you couldn't squash us little guys. We're still there, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And uh <laughs> it's um it certainly rattled quite a few cages, which um, I suppose further down the track, it brought it to uh, an end of, of, of what uh, 96.1 was because, number one, it was rating so well, um, Mike was thinking about moving over to the UK uh, and doing um, some theatre and work over there. And, of course, uh, a bit of capital wouldn't have gone astray. So uh, the radio station that wouldn't have been worth, oh, jeez, when it was K.A., more than a million dollars, was uh, then offered $15 million to be bought out.
0: And, um, of course, so... Mike Mike eventually takes that offer. Um, and this is 1997. So, interestingly, you moved to drive in 1995. Um, by, yes. by the way, just on another note, uh, you talked about that yellow caravan, but I, there was also the uh, the, the branded was it was it Jurassic Park branded cars that were going around as well? at, at some point from yes, one FM. Yes,
1: yes, yes. We we gave away lots and lots of things on on the radio station. Um, one of them was the Jurassic Park cars. They were they were called <laughs> Asia Rocksters, and they were a copy of the um, of the cars that they used in the movie of Jurassic Park. So we'd get to drive those all over the place and, and promote Jurassic Park, the movie. Uh, and give people the chance to win one of these cars. And those two cars were given away uh, by myself. I don't know if they're still living. Really yeah, I wonder if we could,
0: we could track down who won them. We might uh, we might put the call out uh, on the weekend or if you won the car <laughs> to get in contact with us. I wonder where it is today.
1: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> It'd be quite interesting. And we gave away all sorts of stuff, um, uh, things like um, trips to Paris to go and see Phil Collins. Wow. Um uh, that was, I think, we gave that away on our first anniversary as one as FM. Um, so you could go to, to Paris and, and see Phil Collins live and get to meet him backstage and so forth. So for a little Penrith radio station to, to do that was was just quite incredible. Uh, and, and it's and interesting, though, the... isn't
0: it, that you say that because Penrith has a history of this, and 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 you're speaking on a podcast that's produced by by an independent newspaper that has outlasted. Uh, both News Corp and Fairfax in terms of our, our print editions. One FM was yeah. there against all of the, the, the rivals and yet was bringing people in. There is something about the Penrith community, they just really back their own and and they kind of know uh, when you're an outsider trying to, trying to make a back out of them.
1: They do absolutely, yeah, yeah, very, very strong um, community support. That that really is is the key to get getting things done. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't thank people enough for the support that they gave the radio station on behalf of everybody from the radio station. It was it was a family, and I mean, some I remember when um, when uh, WS actually bought out One uh, FM. And somebody said to me, before I walked out the door and started working at WS, because that's where they moved me, literally on that day uh, that they took over the keys, they said, right, you're coming over to work for us now. Um, And just a loss. That, that everybody felt. Uh, I mean, they came in and they they, they sacked the, the breakfast guy, which is a, people might remember his name was Steve Wisby. Now, Steve Wisby was a, a, a very funny character, um, but he'd rubbed up W S um, the wrong way about two years prior at a Parramatta game, uh, and he ran out out into the middle of the field in half time when Penrith was versing Parramatta in a one FM suit. So it was a purple suit <laughs> with 96.1 FM written all over it. Um, and, of course, the games back then were put on by 2WS. They, the, they were the ones that were were, uh, were promoting it. So that never went away, and that particular day that they got the keys to come in and take over the radio station, he was marched into the boardroom with no reason given whatsoever, but see you later. We finally got our revenge.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is the thing in radio. Um, everything comes full circle at uh, at some point. Let, let's talk about the other lead up to 97. So we, we know the station ultimately is sold in 1997, so incredibly, it's a, it's a reasonably short life for 1FM. When, yeah, do the, when do the rumours start emerging that, hey, Mike's considering selling here?
1: Um, it was only, for, it would have been probably somewhere around 6 to 12 months um, to before 97, so about 96. So we'd only been going probably 5 to 6 years uh, in earnest um, before it was time to um, you know, uh, think about getting sold. Uh, A lot of people were very hopeful that it was going to be sold. to. I think it was TUE at the time because TUE used to buy radio stations. They used to leave them alone and just let them run as an entity um, as opposed to buying out the competition, which is what happened with ARN. Um, They couldn't compete with us at that time, so they decided to buy us out. But, uh, yeah, when it it came to um, finding out that we were being sold... Everybody said you'll never work for a better radio station again, and sadly, in my twenty-five-year radio career, I don't think they ever did. Um,
0: Do you remember the day? Do you remember how it unfolded? Did Mike address people? Did like what what actually happened when it was like, "Hey, this is going to happen, and um, we don't know where the station's um, headed."
1: The day, the day was a very ordinary day, as I said. The, the keys were basically like you would sell a house. The keys were handed over to to the WS staff powers would be they came in they'd, they'd uh, got there at 9 o'clock in the morning they'd sacked the, the, um, the uh, breakfast guy by, by 9.05 and marched him out the door um, and started going to all the staff and just weeding them all out. Because a lot of the office staff, people that were in charge of, uh, uh, the advertising and, and, and so forth and, and production, they didn't need them anymore because they would have all that out of 2WS, you see. Mm-hmm. So it was a horrible day to see people going. Um, and then they, I remember they came to me when I was in there in the afternoon because I'd already got phone calls from people saying, be careful, this is what's going to happen when you come in here. Um and they pulled me into the boardroom and and just said to me, um, you know, have you've, you've done a fantastic job, blah, blah, blah. But we'd like to move you over to uh our main radio station which is was WS, um, and and said, um this is before my shift and said, uh, um, so you can go and get your stuff and go and I said, No <laughs> So I want I wanna say goodbye to people, thank you. These people have supported me for all these years. Um, and they, they, they let it out to be a promotion. They said we're promoting you. Um, and it's like, I don't care if you're promoting me what you're doing. I want to say goodbye to people. So they let me do my shift. <laughs> uh, which
0: is, which is a rarity, uh, because radio has a, a bit of a checkered past in this. Uh, there is a risk of letting someone on air. And in fact, oh, Penrith yeah. radio stations have a, have a, uh, a history in this as well. I remember uh, Kick FM, where I uh, actually hosted the drive show for a while, and I was part of the new crew coming in. And the previous yeah. Friday we had the situation where um, where one of the previous announcers uh, went on air on what was his last shift and made it very clear what he thought of the uh, the decision to let him go. So it is a risky world in radio.
1: It is, yeah. Once it's, once it's gone from that microphone, you can't pull it back. It's a bit like sending a Twitter message. You can't get it back. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they, I suppose they trusted me on doing what I was doing. I was you know, professional in, in, in the way I, I took things, and, and I was genuine. I really wanted to say goodbye and thanks for listening um, to all those people that had supported me, because if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have had my career.
0: Uh, did, did you feel, like, how did you feel at the end of that? Because you, you in the back of your mind, well, I'm going to 2WS, I've still got a gig, but did you feel that that was the end of of the era of, of, of that radio station for Penrith and that, that it very much was the closing of a chapter?
1: Yes, it was. Um, especially, uh, and I suppose reality really hit home when they um, closed down the studios themselves in, in Penrith. Um see, see, Mike, when he sold the radio station, sold the radio station, but he didn't sell the building of the radio station. In other words, the, the studios, they still had to pay him rent. <laughs> so on top of his $15 million, he was still kicking butt when it came to rent. Um, so they've decided, yep, yeah, let's move it over to, to uh, Le Bon's Lane in Seven Hills was where WS was uh, and they'd literally shelled the radio station into uh, what we called the dog box it was three by three studio uh, internal walls you couldn't see out you couldn't see anything and the door closed behind you and that was it So, and and it it was really just linked along then. It was, there was no promotion of it or anything like that. It was, uh, as I say, it was, um, it was bought out and hidden away, put on a shelf and maybe one day they'd bring it back to life, which in in years to come, they end up doing that with the Edge.
0: It is interesting, isn't it, that that when radio stations get bought, it it is very rare that the new owners make a success of those stations because for some reason they have in their heads... That well, we can do this better, or something's being done wrong. Instead of realizing, well, hang on, this thing's rating very well; it's performing very well. Maybe it should be our focus instead of dismantling it. It's a, it's, it's a funny thing. It happens constantly in radio, and it happened with ARN.
1: Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't understand their way of thinking. If it's not broke, don't fix it. You know what I mean? Leave it, leave it the way it mm. is. That's that's the way you should be. Um, but you know, obviously, they wanted to. to Work their magic. I mean, years down the track, I think it was about another year or so down the track. Uh, WS decided, and uh, back then WS had an older audience, very very loyal older audience, I might say. Um, but they decided they were going to bring Doug Mulray on board. Now, Doug Mulray at the time, I think he was commanding somewhere in the vicinity of a million to two million dollars a year. So they had to raise the money to bring Doug Mulray on board, which everybody was going, "Are you mad?" you mad? Doug moa' is like playing the sex pistols to your grandmother. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, just, it just doesn't work. And everybody was saying, it's never going to work, never going to work. And sure enough, I think it lasted about a year. But um, as a consequence of that, um, the redundancies were flying around left, right, and centre the, at the WS camp, um, trying to raise the money to be able to pay him. So, you know... Um, a lot of that was One FM. The, the last of the One FM staff were were basically um, a redundant off, including myself, uh, and, um, and and quite a few of the of the WS um, uh, announcers that have been there for years and done amazing work, like Pete Graham um, with his jukebox Saturday Night and all that sort of stuff. Um, no, of course, they Pete, Pete. Them out the door.
0: Some of those announcers go on. Pete Graham goes on to host Saturday Night Live at 2UE for, for many, many years uh, before he yes, experiences yes. it all over again. <laughs> and, um, yes. and and that show finishes um, finishes up as well. What about you? When you yes. finish at 2WS, what becomes next for you?
1: Um, for me, I went on to, um, to 2KY, actually, uh, and decided to, to try Talkback. So I got into to doing a Talkback show for a while at 2KY, um, worked with Donny Sutherland, um, amazing man. Uh, he used to do Sounds Unlimited back in the uh, early '80s, '70s, um, and uh, him and I um, put together different shows and what have you, and and had a great time with with that. And then I eventually moved up to uh, to Queensland. I'd, I'd had enough of spending hours and hours in traffic uh, getting to work, and went, you know what? I could have driven halfway to Queensland with the time it used to take me to get to work. So I decided to to take a, a year off and, and move up to Queensland and, and, and start working up here. So, yeah, works with uh, various radio stations um, until eventually uh, the end of my career was over in uh, Western Australia because I always wanted to be a radio in Western Australia. So I did breakfast radio in Western Australia in Perth um, for some time, uh, which, which was yeah, a totally different change of things. So 25 years all up, um, but had, had an absolute ball, met some amazing people, um, you know. People like, I mean, people like Keith Urban. Keith Urban came to Pena, really? Mind you, that's
0: Interestingly, things that... It's funny, we think things get better, but for media in particular, that would never happen today, you know? Like, Keith Urban's not heading out to do a local radio station. Um, You know, even a a rising artist is not coming out to do a local radio station. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, Keith Urban was a rising artist at the time here, I think he... Uh, if I remember, the only distinct thing I could remember about Keith Urban at the time was this—this this, um, uh, more, more like a mullet mohawk that was that was blonde. <laughs> 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 that, that, that was his key thing. Um, but he played the place called Arizonas, which I believe now is a is a bike shop. Um, uh Arizona's big key thing was you could have the peanut shells on the floor and you can crack the peanuts <laughs> and drop the peanut shells on the floor and did all that sort of stuff. And it was a real sort of hoedown sort of night with, with Keith herbin as a, as a headline, which nobody really knew back then, but he was a country artist and a lot of people went along It did pack it out. It was a, yeah, it was quite a good
0: night. Now, and, now you do have things that bring you back to Penrith. Um, when you do come back to uh, to Penrith, what do you think of the city today uh, compared to what it was like thirty odd years ago when you're hosting uh, nights and then drive on one FM? Oh,
1: it's amazing. It, it really is. Uh, it's just just the, the the fact that you can walk down to your places like the plaza and all the different eateries and things like that there and. And it's like, I suppose it's like being in the city. I mean, when I, when I come down to Sydney now, I don't spend any time in, in Sydney City itself. Why would you bother? You've got it all in Penrith, you know? Um, it's, it's, and it's still got that wholesome feel to it. It's still got that working class feel to it, has Penrith. Uh, it hasn't lost that. It's not pretentious. It was, you know, uh, you can still, I'm the person that will talk to anybody, uh, especially when it comes to, you might be in a shopping uh, centre and buying something and somebody would say it and I would interject, I would, have a chat with them, and, and they still do it today, they they will still chat with you whereas in some parts of Sydney, you don't get that you don't get that, so they'll look at sure. you as if you're
0: quite weird and walk away Now, now one thing that, uh, that does bring you back to Penrith of course, and we have to mention it, uh, your son uh, Nathan, is uh, is a journalist uh, with, with the Western Weekender and has been for, for more than a decade so he followed your career into the media did you ever expect or encourage that, or is that a coincidence?
1: Um I suppose a little bit was coincidence. Nathan, Nathan did like the, the fact that uh, Dad was on the radio, and, and seriously, I used to have my son in there, and, and he'd um, he'd come in and, and, and sit with me at night times when I was on the radio or doing drive, and he'd get to meet all sorts of people. Like, um, there was the gladiator thing going on back then. Um, and he got to got to meet him, and it was like, "Wow, Dad, you know this guy." <laughs> you know, it, it was it was quite amazing. But for him to get into the, the writing side of things, that interested me because there's a little-known secret that people didn't know about Ian Taylor in radio. Um, when I left school, um, I was diagnosed with dyslexia, so oh, I could okay. read. I, I could read, but I'd be reading all over the page. So when it comes to getting somebody with really bad dyslexia going into radio where you had scripts and ads and all that sort of stuff to, to read, it was, it was unheard of, especially if you had dyslexia. So I trained myself to remember. So I'd read scripts. I would read liner cards, so forth and so forth. And I would remember them. So I would go in there and I wouldn't have anything like that with me in written form, I would just rattle it off out of the top of my head.
0: And did you talk to Mike and your bosses about this, or was this something that you, that you kept to yourself?
1: Total secret. The first time it's ever come out is me talking to you now. It's oh, ex- 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 world, exclu- world
0: exclusive here and on the record. <laughs>
1: Well, it goes to show that anybody can be anything if they want to, if they put their heart Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, and that's – it's great to hear those stories because we we, we probably now celebrate, obviously, more than than we ever did. And um, the fact that, you know, inclusion and if there is something that could stop you doing something, well, no, you can do it. But back then, they probably would have said to you, "Ah, look, that's not going to work. You can't read the scripts next, you know? (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there was only one other person that actually knew my, my uh, ailment, so to speak, was um, a lady called Asia Mauritian, um, who's T- Channel 10, I think now. Um, and Azar was the, the production person at the time who used to record all the commercials. So she would get to know what I was like, so she'd give me my. Uh, scripts to, to read commercials and you'd be doing, you know, 20 or 30 commercials a day reading, um, 30 second scripts. So I would sit down and she'd give me an hour to go through the whole lot and write, the, and I'd get a highlighter and I'd highlight all the different lines as I read them and, and remembered them. Um, and then I'd go in there and just rattle them off. Um, and I always used to think, wow, how, how come he doesn't sound like he's reading commercials? Because I wasn't. <laughs> I understood the commercial and, related it that way,
0: so yeah, yeah, that's a, a fascinating twist, and as you say, uh, interesting then that Nathan gets into the writing and uh, side of the exactly. uh, side of the media. That's yeah.
1: exactly right. So him going into writing, he obviously didn't have my ailment; he didn't pass on down the genes. No, no, very, <laughs>
0: very true. Um, yeah. Do you still catch up or, or talk to anyone from One FM in those days? Yeah, I um, uh, probably back. in, I think it was twenty
1: fourteen. Um, we had a bit of a, a gathering. I. I was down there in Penrith and, uh, life had, had, had looked after me at that time and I decided to contact a lot of the people from the radio station. Um, and we all went to a Thai restaurant and we all went out for dinner and I shared them all dinner and, and, um, we had a, a fantastic get together. It was, it was amazing just to see where people had gone from, from there. Um, I still keep in touch with Richard Mercer. Um, him and I will always be mates, uh, always have been. Um, yeah, but it's, just a sad time. I'd, I'd like to know where, where a lot more of them were, but uh, yeah, just a sad time to see that go. But, but you can't, I don't look back on the sadness, I look back on the joy of, of, of what we did. You know, We, we, we set that place on fire. Yeah. We, we, we built Penrith in so many different ways. Uh, gave businesses so many different opportunities to, to you know, further themselves and expand and so forth.
0: Absolutely, and uh, yeah, a really important part of Penrith at a at an integral part in its growth as well through that uh, through that early and mid nineteen nineties. Um, final question: How would you and uh, how, how would you like to be remembered? But how would you like people to remember One FM as well and its time in Penrith?
1: Ah, interesting. So, I think to go to the second part of the question, I want people to be proud of One FM and proud of, of of what they achieved. Um, and, and where they took that station um, and it was all up to the listeners uh, and if, if you're listening to this podcast and you're hearing me now, thank you, thank you so much I couldn't, couldn't say any more um, but when it comes to how would I like to be remembered I remember uh, out of all the different people that I interviewed throughout the world and throughout Australia uh, I remember I interviewed a, a gentleman called Richard Marks and uh, he, he came in, he had the, the, the songs Hazard and, and so forth at the time, really, really big. and I used to finish off my chats with people and say, so what would you like to be remembered for? And, and you'd get various artists saying, oh, this particular song, or that song, or this, that, and the other. And he turned around to me, and it was the only one that actually sunk in my head was, I just want to be a good dad. That's it. Just want to be a good dad. And when he said that, that, that inspired my life to be the same. So, what I want to be remembered as a good dad, but had a good time at
0: the same time. Ian, fantastic, and uh, and great memories of uh, of one FM in Penrith, and I'm sure you brought back a lot of memories as well for people listening who were growing up listening to the station. Ian, um, all the best, and uh, and thank you very much for joining us uh, on the record.
1: Thank you, Troy. Appreciate it.
0: That's Ian Taylor. I hope you enjoyed our chat. A reminder that On The Record is released every Monday. Just search Western Weekender wherever you listen to podcasts and hit the subscribe button. On The Record is produced by The Western Weekender and recorded at the studios of My 88. Check out westernweekender.com.au and we'll see you next time.
2: Now, the West is one. One FM. 96.1 FM. One FM. A message of welcome from the chairman of the 1FM board, Mike Walsh. Well, we've made it. It's been a long struggle over many years, but today you've witnessed the birth of the West's only commercial FM station, 96.1 FM. What sort of a station is 1FM? Sydney's West is an area with young families, with mortgages, schools, a love of sport, and a vision that the future should be better. And that's what 96.1FM is all about. Being better at playing our part in the future success of your life. All the key ingredients to help you with your lot will still be found on 1FM. The music is the same. The competitions and the fun will continue. We'll maintain a strong commitment to news with continuing special emphasis on those stories closest to home. We are still your official emergency information station. So in times of flood or bushfire, we'll have the latest official information 24 hours a day. And our coverage of League will continue. Next year, you'll be able to hear in stereo the Panthers on their way to winning the 1993 Premiership. In short, the name has changed, but we haven't. 96.1 FM, part of your future in Sydney's West. Starting now.
1: So you're dancing up the ocean.